Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And on today's show, it is one of those pinch me moments. Bridget and I got to have an incredible conversation with the iconic Linda Gray. That is right. Sue Ellen Ewing was on our Zoom talking to us about everything from their new show, which is coming out December 2nd. It's called Ladies of the 80s, A Diva's Christmas, which you can find on Lifetime, to some of the most entertaining stories of her career and of being on Dallas. I mean, just... She's oh, one wow. of the nicest people we've ever interviewed. Oh, uh, she really is beautiful inside and out. Bridget and I cannot wait. It's a, it's an amazing cast with Lonnie Anderson, Linda Gray, Morgan Fairchild, Nicolette Sheridan, and Donna Mills. What a powerhouse group of women. They are funny. They are self-deprecating. They are former soap opera stars. So, you know, talk about typecasting. And just, <laughs> and this might be the start of several I would love to see it. I would love to see it. And I'm so thrilled to see these women doing another show. They look fantastic. I just love that they're all embracing this. And I cannot wait to see this show. So make sure you are watching it. Today's the day that our fifth annual 12 Days of Holiday Giveaways begins. Go to our website, go to our Instagram. You'll find links there. It's super easy. You'll see giveaways. You click, you leave your email, and you have a chance to win one of six goodie bags that we had our conversations with Prime Women event in October. We're talking Laura Geller, Vichy, Sunita Skincare, Womaness, Become Clothing Pajamas, The Whistling Kettle Tees, Onya Bars, Exo Jackie, there is so much in there that you are going to have the best holiday time just opening up the bag. So in order to win, you have to enter. Go to our website, hotflasheschooltopics.com. Enter today, and you have six chances to possibly win between today and December 10th. So let's get started with our wonderful, wonderful conversation with Linda Gray. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics Podcast. Today's conversation, Bridget and I are pinching ourselves. You know how we get those pinch moments because we have actress Linda Gray on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I so appreciate you inviting me. Um, I know we're going to have a great time. So this week, your show on Lifetime is now airing. It's called Ladies of the 80s, A Diva's Christmas. First off, like iconic women, the five women on this the show. How did this come about? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I just remember. <laughs> I just remember getting so excited when the concept came up, and I was I was like, "This is perfect." We're all you know, ladies of the eighties, and we all had a show, and we're all recognizable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But to put us all together, and was some genius idea that somebody came up with. And I thought, I don't care who came up with it. I love it and I want to do it. And uh, that that's, and then the women started, it got more exciting when it was like, you know, Donna Mills and Lonnie and Morgan and Nicolette and me. And I was like, what a perfect mess of this fabulous soup of women. <laughs> and let's go play. Let's go play. And that's what happened. 
Oh, that's so, I mean, this is just thrilling to me. I mean, first of all, all of you, you are like a, the biggest show. I mean, to me, Dallas was really like the biggest show with the biggest storyline. And then these other women were on great shows as well. What was that dynamic like on the set? Well, you know, we, we've all known each other and we've seen each other at different events over the years. And, but we've never worked together. Um, I think Morgan was on uh, early on in the early days of Dallas. She was on, I think, connected with uh, Bobby Ewing. Um, but she and I never had a scene together. So, you know, all these women that you know and you respect and you love, and then you get to work with them. I mean, that's, that's a joyful moment when this happens. So, yeah. We all just were in the makeup trailer, giggling and laughing and reminiscing and telling stories. It was wonderful. So the premise of this is that you are five soap opera stars, which again, brilliant idea. And you know, it's 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 a you know Christmas movie, so there's love, and you're trying to get this couple together. Did you guys ad lib a lot of it, or how did the set go? Well, uh, we didn't, we didn't ad lib because, you know, when you ad lib, it throws the other actor off because they're not used to hearing that kind of dialogue. It's like, oh, where are they going with this? Um, so that, a lot of that did not happen. Um, so, so somebody told me later, they said, one of the girls, the girls, um, they said, oh, we ad lib during that scene. And you would never know it because it flowed. And I think if you can ad lib and it still flows um, and it's a comedy, you can get away with it because it doesn't throw the other actor. Um, but then if you decide to, to ad lib and it throws the other actor, that's not cool. So not a lot was going on. You know, I think this premise of having these women all together, I'm, I'm thrilled just like you are to see it because you don't see it a lot. You know, we we want more of that. I mean, just look at what we're doing on reality TV. Everybody's tuning into these Real Housewives things. Have you found that it's been harder to get roles, or are you just seeing more of this happening for women? Um, I, I think you know it, it goes through phases um, where we're considered too old. I don't know for what, but they consider us too old. And I think they forgot that there's wisdom and there's life issues and there's things that the older women uh, can bring to the table that the young ones can't. They just haven't lived long enough. It's not because we're old or they're young. It has nothing to do with that. It's like the yumminess of life uh, comes at a certain point in your life. And... um, when they can pick up on that and realize that we're not disposable, that's that's a key element for me. It's like, no, no, you can't throw us away. And I think they were very wise uh, with the book club, all the, those wonderful women that we know and love. Um, those women were, you know, very ama- amazing in, in the book club. They all were great. The men were great. And I think because the audience uh, loved it, I think they were like, oh, hello, maybe older women uh, have some value. And that's how I looked at it. It's like, are you kidding? You're now just waking up to that idea. 
<laughs> so we all have value, every single one, young and old. But don't dispose of those who have crossed the over 40 line. It's just uh, that, that's, to me, uh, negligence of a human being. This kind of was the year of the 50-plus actress, you know, whether it's the Academy Awards or the Golden Globes. We are seeing a trend, and we're thrilled because we see ourselves when yes. everyone's on, you know, on film. And do you see roles starting to open up a little bit? I do. I don't think it's, you know, not, it hasn't reached the the, um, the level that we would like, but we it is opening up and, you know, people are paying attention. And I think that's how it first starts. It's like, okay, let's just be open-minded to the fact that you're not, uh, quote, over the hill or whatever they want to say, who cares? Uh, it's like, yeah, we are, we're still a valuable commodity on the planet and do not negate us and forget about us and just keep going with only those people that are in their 20s. Not okay. Right. And we, we are spending the money. I mean, the women in our age group are the ones spending the money. So Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The advertisers would want to advertise on your show because we're the ones watching it. And we always say that it's a missed opportunity for a lot of companies that they aren't speaking to our demographic because we have the disposable income. We're the ones who are loyal customers. And our kids are usually using our credit cards. I mean, they're young adults now, but our credit cards to buy things. So I, you know, Bridget and I always talk about that missed opportunity. I totally agree with you. Totally yes. agree. Do you think there might be another one if this goes well? Do you think they might do another one? Well, of course, on the set, um, you know, because we had such a good time. We said, you know what? The girls could go to X place next time. Um, and then our producer was like, oh, yes, that's a great idea. Aha. So sparks started <laughs> flying. Like, we could do this and we could do that. So at least... There was a seed planted that there could could be, I say nothing about that, but um, there could be another one. And why not? Uh, so we'll see how this goes and, and how the audience reacts. And um, I know they're gonna, there's a lot of surprises in, in the okay. I love. I love. And I'm one of them. it's out now it's on lifetime guys check it out because bridge and i'll talk about it after we get to watch it right yes (laughs) your career has been absolutely amazing and i know that you are most well known as sue ellen ewing is that a character that that you were able to put down or do you still carry a piece of sue ellen with you no, I I don't. I, I love her. I really want to have lunch with her uh, sometime <laughs> soon, uh, you know, because I just thought she was yummy. She was delicious. And she was, she, I love it because we've all started somewhere. Uh, and then we grow and we change and, and we have children and we have this and this. Life happens to all of us. Please, God. And then I watched her become so powerful. And I remember during the reboot, Cynthia Sidre, who produced the reboot, uh, she said, how would Sue Ellen change? Now, we're, we were actors, Larry and Patrick and myself were invited, the three of us, to do the reboot. And we were thrilled because we were like three musketeers. 
And um, we always wanted to, you know, work together doing something, but we couldn't because we were too well-known. So when, when they called us and said, would you like to do a reboot? Now that's 20 years later. Same characters. I don't know of a lot of actors who get that opportunity, but we were thrilled. And we said, of course, of course, of course, we get to play with each other. So um, when that happened, um, Cynthia and I had lunch and she said, well, Sue Ellen would have changed. And I said, absolutely, she would change. So during that 20-year hiatus, what would she do? And I said, well, she would probably run for governor. And there was kind of a pause. And I said, why not? Because she knows all the, all the men that JR knows. She knows all his dirty little tricks. She knows all the men that he has, you know, paid off or done something to or whatever. And she knows all the women that he was involved with. Okay, so she knows a lot. And uh, she could really be a powerful force to be reckoned with. So I brought that out. I said, uh, I think that she should be on a par with him. So he can't be, he can probably still be his nasty little self, but um, he, he, he would have a powerful uh, ex-wife to um, manipulate or try to anyway. So anyway, that happened. And um, in the beginning of the reboot, she ran for, she, Sue Ellen ran for governor. And then Cynthia came to me and she said, you have to lose I said, why, why do I have to lose? And she said, because the capital is in Austin and we're doing a show called Dallas and we can't afford to keep flying you back and focus on Austin. Anyway, so I said, okay, if I have to lose, make it quick. Make it like pulling off a band-aid. <laughs> make it quick. So, so we did. We made it quick she had to lose but still she was in a very powerful position and I think the dynamics between JR and Sue Ellen in the reboot were very powerful and uh, and I just I just loved it I loved uh, going to work every day and seeing them and seeing the new kids who were wonderful and um it was just a, a delicious time to um to reboot the show and make it magic. So I think it happened. You know, the character of Sue Ellen, you don't realize how much she really helped a lot of women. I mean, you know, did you find that? Did you find that people with the alcoholism, with the alcoholism having a husband that cheated on her all the time and everything that she went through, did you find that from people uh, that, did you get the message from people that they, she was helpful Oh, yeah, I still do. I still do, um, which is it's so interesting because you realize the power of the show. It's just quite amazing how much, uh, how much it changed lives because we went out on a limb. Uh, Sue Ellen, you know, we blew out uh, alcoholism. Uh, and those are my favorite scenes, by the way. I love them. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> and then, you know, when Miss Ellie had a mastectomy, we we delved into that. We went a lot of places, um, you know, guaranteed, yes, they were over the top, but it made it was so powerful to a lot of people that they really paid attention. It's like, wow, I think I am drinking too much. Let's investigate that. Let's investigate the fact that um, there's adultery going on in this family. At that time, when it began, people didn't talk about much. 
it, everything was under the rug. It's like, oh, well, let's see, maybe I'm drinking too much, but we don't talk about it. I'm only having a, a glass of wine a night or something like that. And then it was, oh, well, either I'm having an affair or my husband is having an affair, but nobody will talk about it. Then Miss Ellie and her mastectomy, it's like nobody talked about it. And then when um, Mrs. Ford admitted that she had a, an addiction problem and opened the Betty Ford Clinic, things started to open. It's like, oh, okay, there's a place we can go for help. There are 800 numbers started appearing. That was all early on when we started the show in 78. And I, I felt and watched this resurgence of there's hope, even in my own family, but nobody talked about anything. And it was like, oh, well, you don't know. Don't say that. No, we'll talk about it later. Um, you know, real things, real things happened, and nobody talks about it. So I, I just felt that the show was so powerful in that respect. And to this day, it still happens. Wow, that is amazing. And I think it, it does help people feel like they're not alone. I always say that when people feel like, they aren't alone, and when they're addressed on a show that everybody's watching, that it is so helpful. And then you can heal after that. So Exactly. Exactly, because maybe in your own family you could never bring up anything like that. You know, we brought up the gay issue. We brought up, you know, alcoholism, breast cancer. We, there were so many things that were brought up during that show that people go, oh, right, I remember that. But they remember it. Their soul remembers, their heart remembers it, and they do something about it. And it's, that was the magic, and that was the power of the show, I think. Can you take us back to your audition? Because it's such a great story about how you auditioned and how, you know, in the beginning, you weren't one of the main characters, but your chemistry was undeniable with Larry Hagman. So can you start and just tell us the story of your audition? <laughs> you sweetheart. Well, well <laughs> it's a story that, I mean, it's, it's still so powerful to me because I remember it so clearly. And that was 1977. I was doing a series with Norman Lear, um, whom I adore. Um, and, and he was so like, he was, he was just a trailblazer on so many levels. And for me, in 1977, to get the, um, the, the love and respect to work with him, for him, it was just amazing. And anyway, there was a casting director called Ruth Comforte. Uh, she was on our show, All That Glitters. And um, she was hired to cast the minor characters on Dallas. And so, you know, she was casting, you know, whoever the minor characters were. And so one day she called them and said, um, for the role of Sue Ellen Ewing, I would like you to see Linda Gray. Well, nobody knew who the hell I was. It was like, who's she? And where? And she said, well, she's on the show with Norman Lear, and I would like you to take a moment and meet her. So they finally gave me an audition time. It was Friday night at 5 o'clock. And we all know Friday night at five o'clock in Hollywood in the 70s, nobody wanted to go anywhere except home and they didn't want to have an audition. Plus, 
Um, Mary Fran, do you remember Mary Fran? She was Bob Newhart's wife on the Newhart show. She was a dear friend of mine. And they said, well, we already have kind of chosen Mary Fran to be Sue Ellen Ewing. And I thought, oh, no, that's my friend. I don't want to come in and, you know, audition against her. So um, anyway, they talked me into it. Ruth talked me into it and said, okay, 5 o'clock Friday night. I thought, no. So I went in. There was no script. It was nothing. But one of the writers had written sort of an audition script for me. And it was a one-way telephone conversation with J.R. Ewing. And I was on the other end of the phone, and Jr. said, well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, darling, because I won't be able to get back, back home for John Ross's birthday party. And, of course, Sue Ellen knew what he was going to do. He was not going to stay at the office. He was going to be with one of his ladies. So I played the other half of the phone conversation. And that was it. Very short, sweet, um, but I knew J.R. Ewing was not a nice person. So I, I drove home and I thought, okay, it's about six o'clock on Friday night, but I know I got that job. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. I thought, why do I feel like that? Woman's intuition. I don't know what it was, but I knew I got that. And on Monday, uh, they called and I was right. I did have that job, but I was so worried about Mary Fran. I thought, oh, no. Um, But, you know, I didn't have anything to do. Sue Ellen was non-existent. I was still, you know, one of the little players. And I was known on the set as the brunette on the catch. I didn't have a name. Nobody called me Sue Ellen. I didn't, nobody knew. Was I tennis pro? Was I... You know, uh, I, I don't know who I was, a next-door neighbor. Nobody knew, and I just sat there as the brunette on the couch. Was wow. That was that's, that was my entry. Oh, my goodness. And, Boy, and, did you become more than the woman yes, on, the, on the couch. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the, the great lines, my famous great lines were, more coffee, Jr. it was like oh gee that's really exciting but then the fun part because you're women and you you know these things um the fun part was I didn't I was in Dallas Texas and I didn't have a lot to do I mean I had nothing to say and nothing to do and so I didn't work many days but I knew I thought I've never been in Dallas Texas I'm playing very wealthy woman how do I find out about these amazing women in Dallas, Texas? What are they like? So I went across the street, across the freeway from the motel, motel that we were staying in. And I went to Nima Marcus. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get my hair done. And I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch. Who are these women? Okay, I listened. I wanted to know who who they were, how they were dressed, what kind of shoes they wore, kind of outfits they wore. Uh, purses were important, jewelry. And I thought I started absorbing who these women were. And the next day I'd go, go back. And I just, uh, I'd walk around, go to the handbag section, jewelry, absorb it, p- 
pull it all in. Who are these women? And I had the most wonderful time because I was gathering information I didn't get from the script. I was gathering information as an actor. Who is she? Who is this Sue Ellen Ewing married to a very wealthy oil man in Dallas, Texas? What would she be like? And I remember one lady said to me, oh, I have to go home now. I have to fluff and fold. And I listened. I thought, what the hell is she talking about? Fluff and fold. I thought she was going to the laundry. I thought she was going to get her laundry done. Fluff and fold was like she had to fluff and she had to fold to get ready for her husband. Well, that looked like a new one. I thought, wow, I haven't heard that ever before. And then I went to a wonderful, very soon after the the Neiman Marcus visit, I went to um, a black tie event in Dallas at the Mansion Hotel, very fancy. And there was a woman putting on lipstick and I was next to her and she had a little Judith Lieber bag about that big. And so we're standing doing our lipstick and her bag was open. And I looked in her bag and I thought, I couldn't help but look. I said, excuse me, is that a gun? And she looked at me like, who are you? And she said, of course, darling, this is Texas. Oh, wow. I mean, what research. Yeah, that is a great, great story. How smart that was of you to do that on your, you know, just to go find how to do it. Anything else to do? Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I was in a motel, an ugly motel across the freeway, and I thought I got to do something here. I got to. I'm not going to sit in this motel, and so I would just gather, and that was really the most favorite time for me because I got to meet the people and I got to observe them, and they had no idea what I was doing, but I was I was just cur- absolutely curious. I love to be curious because we don't know anything about so many so many things in life. When you said the gun was in the lady's purse, <laughs> and then I had to go right to the who shot Jr. and everything. <laughs> you were the on only set. one who knew, right? Oh, you how you knew who shot you? I mean, I, you know, there are certain times in your life that you remember when you know an, an, har- something horrible happened. But who shot Jr. That summer, we all remembered and and talked about who do you think it is, and it has to be this person. Everyone had an opinion, but you actually knew and told no one. How did you manage that? <laughs> well, you know, they, the 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 story right before that was the writers were in uh, the writers' room. And they all sit around, they try to figure out storylines, etc. But when it came to the end of that particular season, they didn't know what to do. So they were like, what the hell are we going to do to end this season? And one of the writers said, why don't we just shoot them? And they thought, oh, why not? That's a good idea. Let's do it. And that's how it was. It was not supposed to be a big thing. And they just they just thought it was a great idea. And it was like, oh, great. And then they, it was such a great idea that everybody on the cast and the crew, because they didn't want anyone to know, uh, we all shot Larry with a, with a gun. And I had a water gun and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we were just silly silly actors playing around but everybody cast and crew uh, shot him so that if it somebody went out and went oh i know who shot him 
blah, blah, blah. They, it would be wrong. So um, anyway, they, they gave me the, they didn't give me a script. They gave me what they wanted me to say. They said, you're going in the, uh, in the recording booth and this is what you're going to say. And so I went by myself, trotted into the recording studio booth. It was a booth. And I said, Kristen, it was you who shot JR. And if you see it again, anybody on the show sees it again, it was done in voiceover. Um, and I was not on camera. Kristen was on camera. And that's how it was revealed. So I didn't think much about it until the <laughs> explosion in the world happened. And I was like, oh, my God, I know. I know who did it. <laughs> couldn't tell anybody. So wow. because it kept going on and on and on. And this that summer was horrible. <laughs> didn't want, they didn't want to be with me. Um, my kids, I mean, if we went to the market to get bread or, or uh, anyway, some milk, they would say, oh, my God, every five feet with the, the cart, they, people would stop and say, oh, I know you get asked this all the time, but who shot JR? <laughs> and I would just be like, oh, my God. You know, it was just on and on. It was, But it was a fun summer, so. Oh, that I was, I can still see the magazine covers. I mean, I, I can imagine, <laughs> you know, when you're at the checkout, I can still see the, you know, him in his wheelchair and everything. I mean, yes. oh yeah, my God. It, it was really something. Well, I um, also wanted to talk about your theater uh, career and, you know, the graduate, uh, Mrs. Robinson. And now, if that was your legs in the original poster? Yep. Oh, that is that. It's funny. I guess I didn't hear about that to maybe the early two thousands when you played the role. How how did that happen? Well, the, um, a photographer in the sixties. The the poster was in the sixties. I think the film came out maybe sixty three, sixty seven, something like that. Anyway, I was a model at that time, and um, uh, one of my favorite photographers called and said, "Can you come in tomorrow? I've got a shot I have to do." Didn't say anything about it, what, what it was. And so I came in, and, and he said, I just need your legs. I said, my legs? What? <laughs> and, you know, I, you know it, was, it was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but okay, I'll do it. And it was, took an hour, and, we, you know, I did the stocking and the whole thing. And um, then, I mean, Dustin was not there, and, but ben, nobody was there. There was nothing. They just put my leg in the... Um, I guess the graphics that they already had. Anyway, I did that in the 60s. And then years later, um, they called from London and um, I think uh, Morgan Fairchild was invited to do The Graduate on the London stage. And um, her manager was a friend of mine and she said, oh, you know, uh, Morgan's been invited to do The Graduate. And I said, oh, it's fabulous. And I said, if she turns it down, please call me. I would love to do to do that. Anyway, she called me, and I said yes. And then, here we go again about age, and then the London uh, producer said, oh, no, she's too old. So I thought, oh, shoot, here we go again. <laughs> um, so anyway, long story short, I ended up playing the role. And then in being invited to uh, replace Kathleen Turner on Broadway. And then I was invited to take it on a tour of the United States. So obviously I wasn't too old. I just, right. you know, I was <laughs> hanging in there. But, you know, it's weird because 
you know, to just have to kind of not prove yourself, but fight through the age thing. It's like so boring. Um, and, and then when you do it, they go, oh, oh, what a surprise. She did a good job. They're like, oh, my God. You know, what? we're an actor. We're actors. We can do many things. And women, we can do anything. So, you know, I just think it's so weird and um, delightful when you surprise them. <laughs> yeah, like, who are them? Who are they? Anyway, anyway, yeah. long story. I did it. I did it well. I loved it. Um, I had a great time. I think that's a fun, that has to be a fun role to play. Oh my too. gosh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. You know, you talk about kind of breaking through these obstacles that so many women face and unfortunately continue to face. It should be old news by now, but it's not. But even when you were on Dallas and you wanted to direct one of the shows, they gave you such a hard time. Was it because you were a woman or was it because you were an actress on the show? What do you think? What reasoning do they give you? Well, their reasoning, uh, you know, always surprised me. It was like, oh, that's good reasoning. Anyway, um, when I, I, it was at the end of season eight, I think season eight, and it was came to, uh, time for us to negotiate, oops, for us to negotiate. New contract, new, uh, more money, whatever. I really wanted to direct, so... I studied with a female, wonderful, wonderful woman, a female, a French female uh, director. Her name was Lillian, Lillian Chauvin. And Lillian had, um, I had already, I met her and I told her I wanted to direct. And she said, well, you're not going to direct until I train you to do every single thing a director needs to know um, about directing. Uh, and I said, well, that's what I want. I don't want to be the woman who comes in and says, well, I'm on the show. I want to direct. No, I wanted to know exactly how to direct properly. And I want to know from a, a woman who's is a director. Anyway, long story short, um, I studied with her for a year. And when the negotiation time came up, uh, they said, "What do you? How much money do you want?" Blah blah blah. I said, "I want to direct one show, one in the next fifty-two episodes, one." And they said, "No, no." Uh, and I said, "But you know, Patrick and Larry are directing. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm only asking for one. I'm not asking for more money. Just." I, w- I would just like to do one. Okay, so, no, they said, well, if that's all you want at the end, um, you're fired. And the end of season eight, they fired me. And they said, well, we can't, you know, we, we can't have that. That's the end of your negotiation. So I drove home, and I was just stunned, actually stunned. I thought, wow. Um, and that was, then they said, oh, if you direct, all the women will want to direct that was another great thing. And I said, okay. And I went to Barbara Bel Geddes, Victoria, Charlene, Susan Howard, any woman that was on the show. And I asked them if they would like to direct. And they all said, hell no, we're not, we don't want to direct. And I said, okay. So I trotted back and I said, I've asked all of them and they don't want to. Anyway, uh, they let me go. And so I talked to Larry and I said, well, Larry, I won't see you next season. He said, what do you mean you won't see me? I said, well, I've just been fired. 
and he went in, he went crazy and he um, this is what he told me he said well I'm going in to talk to them and he said that he went in and he said if she goes I go good for Mr. Hagman I I hope that's what he said <laughs> anyway they called me back and they said okay we'll let you direct one one in 52 episodes and I thought, okay, I wanted to roll my eyes. I probably did, and um, but I accepted. So then the fun part is that when I got my first script, I was so excited. I was like, yes, thank you, God. Thank you, everybody. I'm so excited. I opened my first script, directed Linda Graves. This is so cool. Anyway, uh, the... You know how Dallas is. They have two people in a in a bed, in an office, in a restaurant, in a hospital. Two people, mainly. My script was a costume ball on the island of Mauritius with, a, with two German shepherds, live dogs, gurneys, deaths, all kinds of stuff, and costumes. That was my script, the one they gave me to direct. And I thought, I know what you're doing. You're trying to bury me and tell me that this is way over my head. And, uh, you know, I'll get to do one and out. And I took many, many, many deep breaths. And um, then they said, oh, yeah, we want you to get the sunrise, uh, the Mauritius sunrise. Um, and I said, okay. They said, so every day you and the director of photography go to Malibu, which was in place of Mauritius. You go to Malibu and get the sunrise shot. And I said, well, can we use the stock footage or anything? They said, no, no, you go and you do that. Well, I knew again, that's what they were doing. They were trying to bury me. So I said, okay. So every day the director of photography and myself went to Malibu and the way it turned out, there was no sunrise. It came up and it went into the fog, Malibu fog. And so I called them and I said, well, we've been there every day and we did not get a shot. And uh, they ended up using stock footage, which really... Unbelievable. <laughs> so these are little tidbits of things that... That really was a, like a baptism for me. It was like, okay, I get it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. And I kept going, leaping through hoop after hoop after hoop. And then um, I decided that I would go on all the talk shows and promote, <laughs> promote my, my directing debut. And I did, and we got great ratings. And I ended up doing five. So it wasn't just yeah. one. I ended up doing five, but it was, it was tough. And it was long before. That's why I'm so thrilled. Like the, the director of our movie um, on Lifetime uh, is a woman and she was wonderful. And I just remember being so thrilled that that was happening now that those, the women, I'm sure they still go through a lot of hoops, um, but it's making a dent uh, and I thought, okay, I was one of the one of the beginning ones uh, that um, that had the fought. I had to fight, wow. and I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to fight. I just wanted a respect, and yeah. uh, that's what it was. Oh my goodness! I mean, I'm so grateful that you did stick with it and fight because that 
Like that sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like so much stress and just everything on top of being in the show, you know, <laughs> on top yeah, of that. It, it was, but I, I just hung in there and, and did yeah. the best that could. But it is because of women like you who hung in there, knew they had talent, were not afraid to say, no, I will show you. There were so many that were on that um, part that were just so eager to have a different expression um, and show, but, but it was so challenging to show that you can do something else as well. You can do, you can be an actor, you can produce, you can act, you can do, you can write. There's so many avenues that anyone in any career if you have a passion for it, you should be able to explore it and be respected for going there and give it give it a shot. If you don't, you know, if you fail, okay, so big deal. You fail, you do something else. We don't give up. We just keep going, you know, and we've all had setbacks and we've all had, oh, you know, I tried that and I didn't like it. Or I tried this and I love it. But you tried it. It's like, don't give up your passion. We talk about that all the time on the show because so many women of our demographic feel like the best is over and that they don't want to try something new. But we're not afraid of trying anything new now. There's, yes. You know, it's it's a privilege that we have earned to be able to say, I'll try it if it works. Great. If it doesn't, it's a life lesson. Exactly. And that's the most important, I think. It's curiosity about what's out there. What haven't I tried? What can I do? How can I enhance this beautiful life that I've been given? Doesn't matter about age. You want to do something over there? I went, I hiked in the Camino de Santiago this May in oh, Spain. Oh, you did? I wanted to do it, and I did it, and I loved it. But I moved my butt and I got over there and I did it. And I was so excited. It was like so uh, life enriching. And I thought that's that's what we need. Something that enriches our beautiful life that we've been given. And just do it. What have yeah. you not done yet that you want to do? Oh, you know, I just moved into a new house I don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> oh my God. You know, boxes and things. And anyway, it was crazy. So I'm like, okay, I did that. Check that box. I don't, and I'm just going to sort of hover here for a while. <laughs> that was something I was like, okay, I did that. And I'm happy and blah, blah, blah. But it was, that was not on the bucket list. <laughs> it kind of happened. And, um, you know, I, I survived. That's, that's how I look at it. So now I got to start my new list about what what else to do next right. you know our show has obviously the title hot flashes of cool topics so we would be remiss not to bring up your journey through menopause and how you keep yourself healthy and excited and because you look great and you could just feel an energy that coming just through the screen and talking to you we could tell you have that energy how how was your journey and how do you stay so healthy well, I think it's ongoing. Um, I think, you know, when we put, oh, it's like, well, I'm going through menopause um, or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I think sometimes we get stuck. It's like, okay, this is what happens during menopause. Okay, 
been there, done that, done the hot flashes, done the whole weird thing going on with our bodies. But instead, I choose to look at the good side. And I don't mean it's like, oh, you know, I just am this positive person. It's like, okay, this is happening to me. This means I am no longer uh, going to have any children. This means this. This means my body's changing. This means my life is going to change in different ways. But to me, it wasn't negative because I wouldn't allow it. I wouldn't allow it to sort of take over my persona. Like, no, that was what it was. And it's, it was not easy and not easy for a lot of people. And a lot of people just breeze through it like nothing happens. But I was, I'm always, um, very aware of what I eat, what I put in my body and nothing, um, I, I want to keep as healthy as possible. I'm 83. I loved walking in the Camino. I want to be healthy. I want to have great energy. And who's responsible for that? I don't want to blame anybody. I don't like to take medications of any kind. I don't know what they're doing. I want to take care of my body. If I need something, okay, great. I'll take something. But on the whole, I think... Right right now, I think it's changing because I think there's a lot of things in our environment, a lot of chemicals in our food and water. Uh, I think they're messing with us uh, in, in a very, um, not such a great way. So I'm, I'm kind of like watching, watching what we put in our body. And that makes a huge difference for me. I like all that. I like to sleep. I mean, sleep's important. Uh, eating is important. What we water we drink is important. I think we need to focus a little bit more on that because I think that uh, that a lot of things are being given to us that should not be given to us in things that we can't control. Read the label, read the labels, do all the stuff they tell you to do because I think it's a time where it's changing. Well, we absolutely love this conversation. Yes, yes. And are so incredibly appreciative of your time and what you're sharing and putting out into the world because everybody go check out A Diva's Christmas, Lady of the 80, Ladies of the 80s, because it's just the idea of it is fantastic. So I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yes, about we, it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it because uh, there's, Suellen is not there. She, <laughs> she stayed home. She yes. stayed home. She's going to watch it with a glass of wine or something. I <laughs> I think you're just sending this great message out there to women. So thank you so much. No, thank you both. I've had the nicest time just getting to know you and talk a lot. I talk a lot. Wow. No, and that's, that's what we please. like. Yeah. Please, you are welcome back anytime, anytime. to talk. Anytime. Oh, yes. We love these conversations because we just think women just feel so seen and heard when they listen to these conversations. They're like, oh, okay, she's going through what I'm going through. I get it. I'm not alone. Yeah. Yep, that's what it's all about, you know, just like we just go through life and hold hands and, you know, give everyone a little love because we all need that. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We appreciate everyone so much. We thank you. If you're inclined to do so, please leave us a review, a rate and review, because it helps us get out to more people and we love what we do. So we want to get out to as many people as we can. Have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 